back with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to be discussing Blue-Black in Lord of the Rings Limited. As always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. And getting into the big picture, the format's settled into a place where Red-Black is appreciably ahead of every other archetype in terms of both how frequently it's drafted and its win rate. And when I say settled into, I mean it's really just been that way the whole way. Uh, The red and black cards are very synergistic, very flexible, basically just better than the other colors, uh, though not by an overwhelming amount. So that's kind of like, you know, the S tier archetype in the format. And then I guess in that model, the like A tier or tier one or whatever decks would be um, kind of the next group, which blue black falls into. Blue-Black is drafted a little bit less than Blue-Red, uh, but um, which is the second most drafted deck, but Blue-Black wins a little bit more than Blue-Red. Might be the other way if uh, Blue-Black were being overdrafted and Blue-Red were being underdrafted. Black-White is like very, very close to Blue-Black in terms of like win rate and how frequently it's drafted. White-Black does better overall. Blue-Black does better among top players. I don't know how much any of that stuff matters. Basically, I personally haven't drafted blue-black all that often, but when I have, I've done very well. Cards are really good. They play well together. The main reason I don't draft it more often, even though I do draft blue a lot, is that I just find black to be a little bit more uh, contested, a little bit more heavily drafted than I would like to get into black. I, I don't go out of my way to first pick a black card because I just feel like it's very likely that I won't that the other good black cards will be taken early and I won't see a lot of the like best black cards and I'm not really willing to fight for it so I only really end up black if black seems particularly open and uh, so it makes sense that I've done well when I've been blue black because when black is open it's great it's the best color it's just that it's like pretty highly contested and uh, I think that you know I don't want to be like I I know like I'm comfortable enough drafting the other colors that if half the people at a table are black I don't want to be among them I'd rather just find something more open to play I think blue black is second to blue red and very very similar in terms of strategic versatility it's like very flexible. Um, you can draft in such a way that you'll you'll be like good at any stage of the game. Um, you can play kind of like anywhere on the spectrum from like tempo to attrition, aggro to control. And I think that the cards are all strong and flexible enough to be very forgiving about how you put them together. Um, you don't need to like know exactly what your game plan is or draft precisely the right synergies because um, as long as you prioritize tempt uh, the amount of card selection you have will basically just sort it all out for you the archetype is very strong and very forgiving within that space you can lean into some stuff or out of other stuff you can uh, like focus more or less on uh tempt um but you should generally focus more on it there are theoretically like sacrifice synergies you can lean into with uh you know stuff that gives you one ones at a very low cost but the amount that you get paid for efficiently using the sacrifice stuff 
isn't really enough to like justify it compared to like other cards that accomplish similar goals. Like you could play nasty end for card advantage, but after like all said and done in terms of like factoring in the like mana and card that you invest in like getting a creature, maybe making it legendary to get more value out of it. Like you're not really better off than you would be if you just played like a blue card draw spell. And similarly with like, Lash the Balrog, the, like, sacrifice a creature uh, to kill a creature, um, or you can spend five mana to kill a creature. Yeah, sometimes you can play it efficiently, but you could also just, like, have a different removal spell or have Shilob's Ambush as a way to, like, trade your creature for their creature, and that'll also net, also net you a food. Um, and sometimes you won't lose your creature. I, I'm not really big on, like, leaning into the sacrifice synergy type stuff in blue-black, the Tempt stuff, like I said, is kind of the best like synergy to lean into to the extent that it is one. And once you have, you know, like a good amount of Tempt stuff, then even cards like Dreadful as a Storm and the Black Breath play very well. When they're bad, you can discard them. When you're trying to like build up the ring, they do that. And that's going to, you know, contribute well to like your overall game plan. So the more aggressive decks are going to lean on, like the Tempo decks are going to lean on stuff like Soothing of Smeagol, the bounce spell that Tempts. Dreadful is a storm, the pump spell that tempts. Horses the Brunin, the uncommon double bounce spell that tempts. And like some aggressive black creatures, probably. Uh, you know, like Gollum and uh, Crabane. Gollum being the uncommon 3 1 that uh, tempts when it dies, and you can sacrifice something you turn it from your graveyard. And Crabane being the one on flyer that amasses two. Also, uh, there's the um, 3 2 that tempts when it enters. All of those are, you know, reasonably aggressively statted good kind of like tempo aggro cards or you could be more controlling with like Pelagur survivors the one three that taps for a man of any color for instance and sorceries torment of golem some removal card draw so like th those are you know you can imagine two uh very differently focused decks that have like large numbers of copies of cards from kind of either of those packages but if you just have like you know one of each of those cards and your deck is just kind of like flexible i don't think you'll really be appreciably worse off than if you'd focused just because the ring is so forgiving it's potentially good to have cards that are good in different spots and to just kind of be able to adapt to the texture of the game by discarding the cards that aren't good in the spot that you're in when you attack with the ring bearer so all of that basically means that while this conclusion is a little bit unsatisfying in a way, uh, I think ultimately if you were to just approach this archetype by like strictly taking the best game and hand win rate card on 17 lands every single pick, you would have a fine deck. Like you might want to make some adjustments for curve. Uh, if you really know what you're doing, you can make like some small adjustments for game plan and synergy. But I think that in a lot of cases, taking like a worse performing or weaker card over a uh, better performing or stronger card because of some plan you have is it's dangerous. Um, like it, it's the kind of thing that I wouldn't recommend to anyone who doesn't consider themselves, you know, very experienced uh, in the format and very like knowledgeable about like understanding what their deck works and how it's trying to do and stuff. Be, you know, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, 
you know that I prefer to be able to say like, oh, here's what people are missing here, or here's like what people are doing wrong, or here's how you can get tricked. But I think that um, with uh, like blue, black and blue and black, red, because you have such good access to tempt, such general high card quality, and just like generally a lot of like flexible cards that play well in kind of a lot of different positions, like they're just strong mid-range decks and focusing more than that doesn't matter a whole lot. As far as my usual look into uh, overdrafted and underdrafted cards, there are a few cards that I think strike me as overplayed in blue-black. Um, Treason of Isengard uh, is the amass two and then put an instant or sorcery from your grave on top of your deck for three mana in blue. That card's significantly overplayed in blue-black. I think blue-black very rarely wants it. I like it in blue-red decks that are really leaning into Gandalf sanction, but I think most of the rest of the time it's pretty bad. Um, you need some like really exceptional spells to get back to justify playing a card like that. Um, and uh, it just shows up in decks uh, at a much higher rate than cards with similarly low win rates. Um, and then uncommons, there are some uh, others that are overplayed, a similar situation where the stats just suggest that people play them a lot more than other cards with similar win rates, so people are probably overvaluing them a little bit. That's Grand, the 4-mana 5-5 vehicle, uh, Bill Fernie, the 2-1 that makes treasure when it's blocked, and Soramon the White, the 5-mana 4-4 ward 2 that amasses when you play your second spell. All of those are somewhat overplayed. Uh, Soramon in particular isn't like unplayable, but uh, it's not something you should be prioritizing at all. So just watch out for those. Obviously, like with blue-red, there are a lot of incentives to like really lean into actual spell count and minimize your creatures with like Fiery Emblem, uh, which is the um, uncommon that does two damage uh, when you play an instant or sorcery and tempts you, um, and Gandalf Sanction, and uh, then you know a few other cards at common. Uh, blue black, there's like a little of that. You have Pelgrim Survivor, um, and you have uh, Mouth of Sauron at Uncommon, which likes it if you have a lot of spells. But I think that like Mouth is generally going to be pretty good, you know, whether you have eight or twelve spells in your deck. It's not going to fundamentally change the value of the Mouth. So there's a lot less incentive to like specifically minimize your creatures in blue black, which is part of what contributes to the overall flexibility and your ability to just kind of like take any card that's generally good and it'll work out. There are some other little like pockets like I talked about in Black Red episode about like the synergy between Haunt, the 1-1 one, one, Scry 1 guy that you can return from your graveyard if you have a legend, and Seerith Ungle Patrol. You can do that kind of stuff in blue-black. Most of the time you don't really need to, but it's a fine end game to have access to. I personally typically draft blue-black as a control deck with decent early game. I draft everything that way. This shouldn't come as a surprise, and it shouldn't really come as that much of a recommendation. I think blue-black is just as likely to be very good if you just like have you know decent one and two power or generally aggressive creatures with like nine or more tempt cards. Um, I think, you know, a bunch of, like, bounce spells and temp cards and random bodies is going to be 
just about as good as the like more controlling way that I approach stuff. That's really more about like personal preference and my play style and less something I would necessarily recommend to uh, the average or even, you know, the particularly skilled listener. So I think that's kind of all I have to say as far as like my notes, obviously going to take questions. And again, I, I don't want to be too like down on myself here. And I don't really want to be like down on this archetype. The archetype's very good. It just also happens to be really flexible. And so where I'm usually trying to give some kind of prescription, uh, in a lot of ways, like a prescription just isn't needed for blue black. Um, it really is. You really can't just do whatever. So not really a criticism of anything. Uh, I hope I, it doesn't come across too much that way. Anyway, let's turn it over to chat, try to have uh, some more discussion about this. And while I'm letting people get me those questions, I want to thank my newest uh, patrons this week. Uh, excited to welcome three new patrons. Thank you very much to the Cross, Spurlo, and Tal. Really appreciate the support. If anyone else is interested in joining the Patreon and supporting the program, please check out dram.com slash drafting archetypes. For the blue-black three-mana tutor that tempts you and then you get to tutor for something that um, shares a color with a legendary creature, uh, do you need to have a Witch King level payoff to run it? Or can you run it with a certain uh, threshold of tempt slash worst payoffs? Ringsight is the name of that card, yes. I have not personally been tempted to play it without some kind of like top-tier thing to search for. You also need to make sure... like. It's easy to look at it and go like, oh, if I have any creature, I can tempt that creature and then it's a tutor. But I've had some spots where like I'm Grixis and I have like Rally at the Hornberg and Quarrel's End as like a significant portion of my creatures. And so some portion of the time that I'd be casting Ringside, I'd be like tempting a white creature with no white cards to tutor for. But more likely you're going to be, um, you know, in blue-black, you're less likely to have an off-color creature but you do want to be careful, uh, especially if like a lot of your creatures are armies and black creatures and there's like a blue card that you want to find, you often won't be able to. You know, I, I don't love three mana tutors as a like class. Getting tempt as a bonus is pretty significant, but I do think that you want like something very good or something pretty good and really efficient removal. Like it it's probably it probably helps a lot if you have like a lash of the balrog or something so that you can use it just as like a removal spell if you have to i don't have a ton of experience with it again because i only play it if i have like a top tier thing to search for and even then i don't like take it that highly so i'll say i'm generally low on the card and kind of leave it at that i guess do you think Deceive the Messenger fits into both archetypes well, or do you find it better suited to, for control slash long game? No, I, I think it fits into both really well. I almost think it's better in the aggressive decks, right? Like if you're playing a bunch of like three ones and three twos uh, with like golems and uh, the orc guy that tempts you, um, then you're a lot more likely to get into spots where um, you can use it to trade with a larger creature or protect like a decent creature. I think that uh, the control decks do like the one mana tempo positive play because uh, if you're spending a bunch of mana drawing cards, you want to be able to like efficiently use those cards to catch up. But I think the like aggro decks are a lot more likely to get into 
like better spots for it where it, like you're literally just getting a better effect out of the card. So I, I think Deceive the Messenger is generally strong and very flexible. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy to play it in almost any blue deck. Also note that it's possible that people overvalue Survivor. I definitely don't think that Survivor should be prioritized in blue-black quite the way that I think it should be in blue-red. Uh, unless you have like a number of Torment of Golems, um, or if you know that you're playing uh, like multiple Arwen's Gifts or Lorien Revealeds. But yeah, because blue-black leans less into spells than blue-red, it's certainly a slightly lower priority. Do you ever play Envelope if you're straight blue-black? If you have the right curve for it, it would be fine. Um, you know, the right curve for any card like that is going to be a lot of two drops and a lot of like five drops and not very many threes and fours and if you're heavy tempt then it's like another tempt to get that stuff going especially if you have fives or sixes that are particularly good to cast early then you can do it i don't like prioritizing the card in three color i think you can usually or in two color rather i think you can usually find better tempt cards to play instead but it's not easy to be in a spot where like you have a lot of five drops specifically in blue black you like you have to be overrating like sorum on the white or sirith ungo patrol or something to end up in that spot and i think that really i would advise that you just like take the fives lower if you find yourself wanting to play envelope in that deck so while i won't say you should never do it i'll i'll say I, I definitely don't think it's something that you should like be looking to make happen. And if, yeah, again, just if you find yourself in spots where you're often tempted to play envelope in blue-black, I suspect that that's indicative of a problem somewhere else. You mentioned Dreadful as a Storm. Do you find that's a card that gets appreciably worse in multiples or is it a direction to lean into? Uh, do it and deceive, raise each other's stocks. Yeah, I mean, it's Dreadful as a Storm is like, just always better with more amass because uh, turning a, a mass token into a base 5-5 five five that then has whatever pluses it has is generally a very good use of Dreadful, like making it a full plus 5 plus 5. I have, uh, I, I do think that, you know, all tricks, especially expensive tricks, have diminishing returns, but I'm not particularly unhappy about playing multiple Dreadful as the Storms. Like, I would much rather have too many Dreadful as the Storms in my deck than too many of the Black Breaths in my deck. The Black Breath being the, like, opponent, opposing creatures get minus one, minus one tempt card. Because uh, with Dreadful, you can just, you know, cash it in for large bursts of extra damage or, um, you know, make, like... You can usually just like attack into some creature and they block and maybe you don't kill a great creature with it you you know kill something and get attempt um I, I think it's just like generally going to accomplish something when you cast it whereas black breath if your opponent doesn't have any x ones it just doesn't do anything black breath can be really good to have access to if you have a lot of attempt because sometimes it's amazing and other times you can just kind of loot it away but dreadful like it's just really hard to you know unless you don't have a creature in play you're probably going to be able to get something out of it so i'm not like particularly worried if i end up in a spot where i have like two or three dreadful as a storms that you know my overall card quality works out better if i play all of them or whatever i think dreadful is a storm more than deceive the messenger 
is a card that's appreciably better the more aggressive you are. Um, I think, you know, in the controlling decks, Dreadful is still fine because those decks are still eventually looking to kill people and uh, it works as a decent way to just like kill a large creature. But I do think that the more aggressive, more temp-heavy decks are a lot more likely to get into a spot where the burst damage from Dreadful with possibly the last level of the ring or whatever, um, you're just much more likely to get into a spot where it can end the game. Does Bath Song play notably differently in blue-black than other shells? Not really. It's very good. An amusing thing that I came across while looking at the win rates of commons in blue-black is that Revive the Shire has like a ridiculously high win rate because it's, you know, only played if you're looping Bath Song with it, and when you're doing that, it might enter your hand several times in the course of a single game that you win. I don't think that that's like a particularly meaningful stat, except that it suggests that like the Revive the Shire Bath Song Blue Black decks do at least reasonably well. But, you know, just in general, like if you have Bath Song, you want to be a little bit more controlling, but Bath Song is kind of just great and the fundamental like things that Bath Song does to your deck, like it makes removal better, is going to be the same in blue black, such that like it's not really structurally different from what it is in other decks. How often do you find yourself splashing in blue black, and what colors do you find yourself splashing the most, and for what cards? Because blue black is temp heavy and has the ability to comfortably play a very controlling game. It's certainly a good spot to splash. Uh, I play like Grixis a lot. Cards that I'm looking to splash there are, I don't know. It's hard to figure out like what the line is on cards that I want to splash versus cards that make me want to be like splashing one of the other colors, right? Like I wouldn't say that if I'm straight blue-black, I'm excited about splashing Rally the Hornburg, but I might like take Rally the Hornburg reasonably early if I have started blue-black and then potentially I end up shifting into blue red splash black or blue rack black or red black splash blue or balanced three or whatever. But yeah, I mean red has like a million good uncommons, so splashing any of them uh, is fine. Obviously, you know you're gonna splash the mythic um, Sauron. You're gonna splash you know Faramir, um, the the rare Faramir in white. Uh, you're gonna splash. Like revive and ent if you have bath song in green, if you are like in the kind of esper control space, then maybe you're splashing Samwise the Stouthearted for bath song, and then maybe you splash like banish from Adorus for additional removal. But I mean broadly, you know any high impact good late game single pip cards are the things that you want to be looking for when you're splashing in general, and that's certainly also going to apply to uh, splashing into blue-black. So any single pip removal spell and any like high impact, like basically any good card that costs four or more mana is something that you should like think about being like having a willingness to splash. If you have like a good card that costs two mana, then you really need to think about like how strong is this if I don't cast it until turn four or later. And so if it's something like Samwise the Stouthearted, that's fine. Whereas if it's, you know, something like Mariadoc, then it's probably not going to do anything for you. All right. I think we're going to wrap it up there. Closing thoughts. I, I do really want to stress, 
I think that this is a very good archetype if it's open. I don't mean to be down on it in any way, but I don't want to be fighting over black um, is kind of my like big note on the format as a whole at this point. Uh, early on, black was the best color, and I think that players did pretty well by identifying that and drafting black very highly and being in a position to capitalize on like opponents just not knowing that they needed to prioritize black as highly as they did uh as highly as they could or as other players were but now i think we've gotten to the point where people know that and black is drafted appropriately and um so you really want to watch to see if uh, black is actually open or not and so that's that's going to lead to at least for me not necessarily playing black uh, at all that high of a rate and that's it thanks for listening and i will be back next week i believe i'll still be covering lord of the rings but we are uh, beginning spoilers for uh or previews i should say for wilds veldrain next week so I'm not, I haven't looked into the exact timeline, but we are going to be winding things down on Lord of the Rings in the near future and getting into Wildsville Drain. So um, thanks for listening, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, a new set before too long. Have a good week, and I'll be back next week. Prepare for light speed.